0: Right. Well, join me if you would in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Sometimes we speak that plurally, right? But it is a singular book with plural revelations. So I just, you know, help you kind of go, well, which one do I say then, Dan? <laughs> hey, the one I don't lose any sleep But the book is specifically speaking of the revelation of Jesus Christ that was brought to the Apostle John while he was on the island of Patmos, and God's purpose and intention in bringing the heart of God, the Word of God, into the, to the, to the mind and the heart of a, of a person is so that his heart can be expressed through the pen, so to speak, of that person. It's not John's Word. It's John is embracing the Word of God and, and sharing it as God has directed him and revealing what God has revealed to the Apostle John. And so we need to catch the, the background, the context um, for this as we begin in chapter 15. But I'm just going to give you an uh, you know, elementary or a basic overview, so to speak. The church, true believers, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, are not people who put confidence in their own ability or confidence in, I a saved, now I'm going to go do all these things to stay saved. They're people that have understood, by the grace of God, what it means to put their trust in Jesus Christ. They're born again, the Bible would speak of. They're born of the Spirit, and they're, they're growing. They're hungry. Well, those people comprise the church. Not everybody who goes to church comprises what the biblical church is. Attendance does not get you into heaven. Giving does not give you, get you into heaven. Serving does not get you into heaven. What get you into a heaven is a humble acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believing that he died for your sins. That he rose from the dead. Conquered death and hell. And invited you to participate in his victory by humbling yourself before him. Receiving his gift of life. That's the church. Those who make up that qualification so to speak. Well the church has been removed from the earth in the context of where we're at here in chapter 15. It happened back about chapter 4, if you're looking back there, and where the church has been brought up into heaven. And so what we know, according to Scripture, is the church is the the restraining one in that the Holy Spirit empowered believers to proclaim and to present and to live out the gospel. And we're told that, you know, this the restraining one that, that was there would be a time, when Thessalonians were told that that would be removed. So the Holy Spirit, indwelling believers, born again, born of the Spirit, leading the church, has now taken the church up into heaven. So the the earth now is ripe for deception. Now truth has been rejected, and and people, and the church has been brought up to heaven. Now there will still be truth and influence of the Holy Spirit upon the earth, but not like it was. Okay, so once the rapture happens, the, the Holy Spirit, you know, some have said, well, the Holy Spirit will, will leave the earth, but he actually is also a part of the triunity. So he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. His Role in the way God deals with the Christ rejecting world will change. He will actually empower uh, two witnesses, 144,000 people. Angels will be those declaring the gospel, as we've seen working our way up to chapter 15. So understand that the Holy Spirit, his work in the church changed because he took the church up to heaven because he's now going to usher in this preset um, time and age. And none of this happened. Spontaneously, It wasn't like there was some council in heaven. It's like, that's it, I'm done. I'm so done with them. It's time for, here comes the wrath. You know, this was all set before the ages of time as we would think of it. And God's timing is perfect. We've seen that as we've worked through. Now, the truth that comes now will, be, will come during God's judgment upon the earth. Mercy and grace are still extended. But this clearly, what we're reading about is a time of God's wrath being poured out On a Christ-rejecting world. So the rapture of the church. Is when he removed us. And that's future tense. He will remove us. Take us up into heaven. And then the wrath of the Lamb according to Revelation 6. Will then be poured out on this Christ-rejecting world. That is actually what will probably begin the beginning of the tribulation period. The tribulation in all Reality, looking at scripture, will take place after his bride is removed. And then that will usher in a period that is actually a seven-year period, which can be grouped together, calling, calling it one event, if you would, a time called the Great Tribulation Period. We know in this world you will have what? Tribulation, trials, you will have that. But those trials are not this event, this specific thing that's spoken of in God's calendar. Well, the Tribulation Period will begin after the rapture of the church. There will be three and a half years of judgment, then a horrible realization for Israel. See, Israel, at that point, will have made an agreement with the world ruler who took the lead when the Holy Spirit removed the church. This leader known as the Antichrist, which really that means another Christ or an instead of Christ. So it's interesting when we read that, we kind of sometimes think of this almost hard to look at creature and really evil, which it is evil. And and this person is, you know, probably more appealing as maybe a lot more like an angel of light that the devil we know his demons can transform themselves into. Anyway, this leader known as the Antichrist seemed to have all the answers uh, for the world problems that were multiplied when the rapture took place. We get it. And you remove millions of people. All at once, in all walks of life, in all continents, in all cultures, in all things, you just have made the perfect storm of chaos. And so, somebody comes along, and he does. He calms it all down. He has the answers. He has these these various powers, which we know are, are from the devil himself. Well, as he has solved the answers, makes his agreement with Israel, and everything seems to be fine, but. The Antichrist, as he helps to enable temple worship in the newly rebuilt temple there in Jerusalem and appears to support and favor Israel. But three and a half years of this, three and a half years into this period, the Antichrist will go into this newly rebuilt temple and stand in the holiest place, what they call the Holy of Holies from the Old Testament, and he'll declare himself that he will declare to himself that he is God and he is the one who the Jews are to worship. That's what the Bible refers to as the abomination that brings desolation. It's at this point Israel will realize they've made a horrible mistake. And they've entered into an agreement with the very one they should have been watching out for. It's the turning point in the tribulation period. The final three and a half years will be great in tribulation. Some will actually refer to the tribulation period and then the last three and a half as the actual great Tribulation, because by description and, and definition, and what we see, it, it makes sense. And this is a tribulation and stuff that has such as n- the world has never known nor will ever see again. So, in Revelation, we learn that God's judgment upon the earth will be incremental. In other words, it comes in increments, and it will also be increasing in intensity. The seal judgments we know, as we started through there in chapter six. They led to the trumpet judgments culminating in the bowl judgments, which we'll see in chapter 16 this evening. So beginning in Revelation 15, with that as our backdrop, let's read. Then I, so of course John, and notice this is important. Notice he's always giving us a a kind of a, a, a direction, if you would. He's telling us whether he's seeing something in heaven or it's down on the earth. Because it's like two monitors that you're able to look at. It's like a a movie with two different angles. It's giving you this, and then it'll flash over and show you this. And so what we see here, he's telling us, I saw another (laughs) sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image... And over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested." Let's go back now to verse 1, and as, we, as I mentioned, there's, there's two views that we see primarily through the book of Revelation, and that's what's happening on earth, and that which is taking place simultaneously in heaven. And so here, what this enables us to have is a broader understanding, but it creates a complication for our minds to keep up with where we're at. We have to catch those words like then in heaven, and we have to be aware that sometimes we'll be looking at something, which is actually something he said about here, but then we get a deeper view, more detailed account of it, and then that will be put on hold, and then we'll come back to it. Like even what we'll see tonight will be readdressed again in chapter 19 out of chapter, from chapter 16. So it helps you, because do you struggle sometimes to track with the, the chronology? Where are we at on this thing? What is going on? And so I think maybe that'll help when you read just realize some of these things are just a glimpse of the battle to come or various things, and then he gets back into this flow chronologically. As Western civilization, we most always think in a form of chronological order, birth to death, you know, this, then this, then this, and if it's going to take a break, then somebody better tell us because we don't have no clue where we're at now. And that's kind of how we kind of get tripped up sometimes in this book. Just keep going back. Get your get your bearings set. In verse 1, it says it's that the great and marvelous. Well, why? I mean, what's going to be described is going to be, this is the prelude. This is the intro to chapter 16. Chapter 15 is only like eight verses long. It's the shortest book in the, the particular letter. It's telling us how this Terrible judgments to come. Uh, these bold judgments are the worst, as far as you know the intensity. I think it. We're told that it's 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 uh, as it says there in verse one, great and marvelous, because it's it's actually it's referring to the victory of the Lamb is near. Very soon will be, will, they will see the Lamb is victorious. You see from the content of this chapter, there's a lot of praise. There's a lot of worship. The final seven judgments will be poured out on the earth leading up to the battle of Armageddon, which we see in chapter 16, verse 16. And we know here in verse 2, you know, he says, I saw something like a sea of glass. He's referencing what he's already mentioned in this particular letter about this throne of grace, this time, this place in heaven where God's throne is and this sea of glass. And here he, he adds uh, that it, it was mingled with fire and, and those who have the victory over the beast, his image and his mark. You know, that's probably, those people there are probably the growing number of tribulation saints. Who were saved out of during the tribulation, you can see that if you want to reference, you can go back and look at chapter seven verses thirteen to seventeen this multitude of people, even early on in the tribulation, who have come to Christ, they were saved during the tribulation period, and we see that you know, number will increase. Um, I think it 'll be reduced um, just by results, in other words, people will still hear the gospel they 'll still have you know the power of the spirit. Wooing and calling them, the angels will be declaring as they move through this the space of the heavenly spaces, that's the sky, and and then will the two witnesses and hundred and forty four thousand. But the longer people resist and and experience the hardness and the harshness of judgment, the more resistant they are. It's opposite. You would think the worse it gets, finally they go, I'm done with this. I don't want to be here. But it's not what happens statistically. It's the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. They're more responsive to knowing the goodness of God. Even though in this, the goodness is offered. Mercy and grace and invitation are given during the tribulation period. But the closer you get to the end of the seven years, I'm pretty confident the the conversion rate, not monetarily, but soul. (laughs) People converting to Christ. is going to be really, really low. Because they've already... God, I, and we will actually see that from the text. So we see these people. We see notice in verse three, they're singing a song of deliverance and great victory. They've seen the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, and recognizing His ways are great and marvelous. He is Lord. His ways are just and true. You know, even today, people struggle with this fact, and because um, we we somehow think God's accountable to us. That sometimes people are like, you know, okay, well, why did God allow this? How can we allow this baby to die? How can we allow that horrible thing to happen? How come that tragedy? How how come that natural disaster? If somehow there's this 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 perception that it's like somehow God's accountable to us, but the Bible speaks over and over that His ways are just and true, and I don't believe that we can reconcile it. I don't think in our minds, our finite minds, we can run the scales and do the math and come up with an acceptable answer for those questions. Because I don't think we have the capacity. But what we do have is the truth and the promises that his ways are just and true. Even in an unjust world, his ways are just and true. Even when we don't know that he loves us and think that he may not, for Christ so loved the world that he gave his own. or for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I mean, that's love expressed, agreed? Now, you may not have felt like he loved you Because you weren't even around when he went to the cross. And you may not feel like God's love. But it doesn't change the proven fact that his love is manifested. It's not poetic. It's not theoretical. It's not bumper sticker and fridge magnet stuff. It's real world. It's actually proven by his actions. Going to the cross. The epitome. The ultimate expression of love. For God himself to come as a man. And then offer redemption, humanity, pay the price that they could never pay, and then and offer to them this new life. I mean, you don't get any. But there's no better expression of love. And you know, you person might not feel it. Some might say, "Well, that's not fair. This is not fair." You know, set in your mind and let it soak. His ways are just and true. With your health, with your relationships, with everything, his ways don't vary. They're just and true. And so you see that you know, they're declaring that. Who shall not fear you? Verse four, Lord, O Lord, and glorify your name. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, some will say that unto salvation, like those of us you who are here tonight or listening, who are born again, we've declared, we've glorified his name. Others will declare his name, not unto salvation, but surrender, Not unto a new relationship, but rather unto complete separation. They will still declare his name. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And so he says, you alone are holy. All the nations shall come and worship before you. There in verse 4, we see that. They will revere you as the one true God. Verse 5, as we see that these things I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. So we have here the heavenly temple that the earthly temple was modeled after. You know, this is the pattern. There are certain things that God had set when he instructed the building, not only of the tabernacle, but as well as the temple. And this is the model that he would be using this temple in heaven uh, fascinating because the purpose will be uh, there will be different things that will be taking place in that heavenly temple of course and then we see in verse 6 you know these angels coming out with the seven plagues and verse 7 one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of wrath of, of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. The final group of judgments will now be poured out. They're called the bowl judgments. As the angels go forth, the temple will be off limits during this final judgment period. Now carrying us right into chapter 16, as we see in chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Remember, it's a call to repentance, an offering of forgiveness. It happened before the rapture of the church. It happened at the beginning of the tribulation. It continues to be extended and offered. But we know as we've read along that many people will shake their finger at God. They will defy God. They will they will be belligerent, indignant, and basically blaspheme his name. And, and his wrath will be poured out. And, and, and I know sometimes people are like, Man, I, don't, I don't believe in the wrath of God. I don't, you know, I don't like the wrath of God, but I can't have the justice of God without the punishment of God. I can't pick and choose what fits for me. I have to say, well, this is what he's doing, and he's just and true. His ways are right. And he will pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And it gets intense. I mean, to read chapter 16, we're going to just kind of roll through here in a bit. Because it's a terrible chapter from a point of human experience. I mean, it just doesn't, honestly, I could say it doesn't get any worse on an individual basis for what's being poured out. Verse 2, the first angel, so the first went out and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Now, notice there's a distinction there. It's those who have chose to worship the Antichrist. Those who have chose to bow down, even receiving the mark, which is a mark of their decision. It's not a mark of deception. A mark of deception would be where you trick people into getting something and they don't know what they got. And some people have, even in our time, I've had that question come up quite a bit. Well, what if, is this possibly the mark of the beast? Or did this, could this be, could COVID be it? Could some of these other, you know, digital things and these microchip things, no, they can be a part of it. Some of these things we may consider, but the decision to receive the mark of the beast is a decision to worship, to turn from the, the creator God, even if you don't have a relationship. Just saying, I will worship this one and not the God of creation. It's a very conscious, very, literally you could see blasphemous decision. Well, those who have done that have these oozing sores. Is really what it speaks of. An oozing sore. An oozing sore speaks of something that's within that is coming out. In other words, there's an infection. There's something there, and it's just, you know, pussy, gross, painful. It's hard to even describe. Many people have associated it with various things related to nuclear, expo- or uh, um, yeah, like nuclear exposure like bombs, and you know, trying to think what's what's a atom bomb, you know? And just the the the, the way people were affected. I, I don't go there myself. I just think it's pretty simple. It's an oozing sore. Here's another one that's very interesting. Some have suggested the possibility that those who worship the beast, who embrace the new economic system, who receive the implants, and the implants, you know, the little microchip, which works best on the, right here on the closer to the surface, like on the back of your hand and on your forehead, right at your hairline, they've suggested that those actually could be the very source as an infection. As they're in for a while, or perhaps because they're they have a battery, a lithium-style battery, and then they kind of self-power, so to speak. Well, what if your body starts rejecting that? And I I thought it was pretty interesting consideration. It's not. I think it's just flat out. It's it's a result of rejecting God, in a sense of they're just these oozing sores because they've chose to worship the beast, specific group. Now the second one, verse three, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. And it became blood, as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. You know, there's a thing called red tide. That's um, a phenomenon that takes place in the ocean, and where plankton and different bacteria kind of the the balance goes whacked, and you have this. It's, that's not what it is. That's just some sort of a thing we could observe. It's literally the things in the sea are dying. They're dead. So he pours out this. Second bowl, the first bowl, you have these sores. The second bowl, your, your salt water, your seas and oceans, all the creatures die. You remember early on, it was a portion, like a third of the earth dies, and it was partial. But now as we're into this final uh, group of judgments, it's, it's more complete. The third angel, in verse 4, poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. So now that's on fresh water. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. The angels, they use, I'll use this phrase, they scratch their head. They were kind of in amazement that God is so patient with humanity. They scratch their head and go, When will he judge these people? When will he deal with this? See, the angels are aware of God's judgment. Lucifer has already been cast out of heaven. third of the angels went with him. So they're aware that God, God acts judicially and perfectly in his timing and his ways. And I'm sure they're going, man, when's all this? And here this angel sees this and is declaring the truth. God, righteous are you, O Lord. Because you have judged these things. He's seen, they know what's going on, and he's saying, It's time. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. You know, those who um, have poured out the wrath, if you would, and have been agents of the Antichrist, their consequences for their actions, those who have rejected Jesus and worshiped the Antichrist, even killing Christians, as we see here, as an act of worshiping the beast and the Antichrist. They will be held accountable for those actions. And so he sees declaring, man, you're righteous and true. They, they, they and It says, and you have given them blood to drink for it's their just due. Verse 7, and I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. As we've worked our way up to this part in this particular letter here, chapter 16, we've come across a lot and we've seen God's patience. We've seen his invitation. We've seen him sending special agents, two special agents, to go and and declare the gospel of which the world killed and, and mocked them by celebrating and leaving their bodies to lie on the street. This doesn't go unnoticed. This is just a reminder. Nothing goes unnoticed. God will not be mocked. You reap what you sow. And a Christ-rejecting world that denies his mercy, spits on his grace, will be accountable at some point. I, I, to me, I want to make sure that we understand this. I have, it is amazing how God can be so patient. It is amazing how he can wait and wait. But there is a day, there is a point, and for all of us to know too, when he closes the door. When he says, I know if I keep extending this to you, you will keep spitting in my face. I'll shut the door now. And and Christians a lot of times don't want to think about that. They think sometimes as long as I, you know, I'm born again, so I'll always have grace and mercy extended to me and I can just, you know, ignore things and do things and whatever. When I get around to it, I'll do it. No, you, you can have the door closed to you as well. Because you don't know when the last moment is when you won't turn and God does. And so, I, you know, I just want you to be aware, let's not let anything creep into our hearts and somehow think, I don't have to deal with it. God's holy and just. And if we let that stuff creep in and take up residence and basically defy the living God by saying, I'm not going to deal with it now. I just think that's a bad idea, especially when we see here a principle that if his people reject him, he deals with this judgment of rejection, but he also has to work judicially with his children. Any child that tells mom and dad, "Yeah, I, I agree with you. I ain't going to do it," probably is going to have a dinner, different interaction with the parental authority in his life at that point, because of love, because he says, you know, so anyway. Let's move along. Here in verse eight, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Though so, now he's cranking up the heat oozing sores, dead seas, contaminated fresh water, and now scorching heat. And the men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who had power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Notice they did not repent, even though they knew it was God who still offers them grace and mercy because they could repent, but they would not they would not. And so now it can carries us on into verse 10. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And did not repent of their deeds. It is a horrible time to be living on the earth. They, they, people will, because of what they're experiencing... And their life experience then somehow gets to determine the nature of God. And if their life experience is categorized as bad, then therefore they have some reason they can be indignant to God. And here is a, is a time where the people slandered and reviled his name. And they would not turn to him. It, it, it's mind-boggling, quite honestly, that in the midst of all this, they wouldn't turn. And you know what the irony of it is? God's just allowing them a little bit of what they're asking for. Heaven ain't going to be pleasant. I don't care how popular songs you have where you can you know, say, hey, I don't, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. You guys remember some of those songs like out of the 80s and 90s? You know, I don't want to go to heaven and play the harp when I can go to hell and party with my friends. You don't get to redefine hell. You know about hell because God told you about it. We don't get to make it into what we think it should be or could be. It, it's very clearly a place you don't want to be the enemy of your soul the the liar the thief the stealer the antichrist this is the world he would create if he could create it for humans he would create a hell matter of fact it's just his nature to lie to steal to offer something and give you something way worse and so ultimately when we read about these things this is a little bit of what hell's going to be like God's exposing. This is the follower. This is the one you, you were, you're leaning towards. You don't want anything to do with me, but this is this is this is what he's holding for you. These are the things he'll have for you. Verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Interesting. With the river dried up, Israel and en, Israel's enemies can approach from the east. Which kind of makes sense, right? Kind of hard to approach from the west unless you're in a boat. So they're going to come from the east. And we know several scriptures, Ezekiel, we can see even from 37 through 39 in different places. We see it. That was what speaks of these, this battle. And as we'll see a hint of it even just in a moment, this battle of Armageddon. This sixth angel opens up and basically dries out the river. And now they're like, oh. We can actually come and attack. We don't have this interference, this, this restriction naturally. Verse 13 is what an interesting one. And then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of Almighty of God Almighty. So they're like frogs, so they're not actually frogs, but even that they're like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, that's this hideous false triunity. And here are these frog like things coming out. Egyptians did have one god that they worship was of frog qualities, but Israelites, you know, they, they just they weren't big into frogs. You know, I've only I know frog. I mean, frogs start as a tadpole and could turn into a frog, and then the next thing, the best thing to happen after that is they're flat on a road and squished out like a pancake. That's their whole life process, in my book. There's nothing appealing about a frog. I actually call them rally frogs because they're really gathering the people and the nations together to try and remove God. These are spirits of demons. Let's look real quick at Psalm two. In Psalm chapter two. We have uh, uh, the principle or the truth addressed. It says in Psalm chapter 2, beginning in verse 2 The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So, What we have developing back over here in Revelation chapter 16 is this confederation, this drawing together of these nations and all these people and forces that are convinced, you know, we're going to eliminate this God of uncomfortableness. We're going to deal with it. We're going to to take him out. And so it's really spoken of here in Psalm, not necessarily just that battle, but just the mindset of people who think they can remove God. He who sits verse 4 he who sits in the heavens shall laugh the lord shall hold them in derision then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure god is basically just going are you kidding me are you really going to come really is this supposed to be a battle verse 15 back in chapter 16 of revelation Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. You may have a translator or a print uh, your Bible that w- will be in red. It's the words of Jesus saying, behold, I come, I'm coming as a thief. That's, that's speaking of suddenly, quickly he 's going to come and it 's going to they 're not going to control it they 're not going to gather and somehow cause God to respond. Their gathering is actually accomplished because God allowed them the ability to approach geographically in a fulfillment of prophecy and he you know this this humble entrance of Palm Sunday will be followed by a type of a hostile takeover actually. It can't be a hostile takeover. That's kind of a a Twitter word right now, so to speak. It can't really be a hostile takeover when the person making the acquisition is actually the rightful owner of the assets. He actually owns the planet. He's allowed um, someone else, Satan himself, to be the prince of this age. Jesus will take back the earth from this deceptive, deadly, demonic rule That currently has restricted possession of this planet. It appears he's in control. It appears by the things we see in the news. And horrible things that people do. That Satan actually is in control. And how much greater will that appear during the tribulation period. During the latter part of the tribulation period. But remember this. Jesus will return in glory To establish God's kingdom, and that's really what we're seeing is unfolding and leading to this. And in verse 16, and they gathered them together in the place called in Hebrew Armageddon, the Battle of Armageddon. It actually won't be much of a battle. Seriously, there will be some powerful numeric power, so to speak, numbers forces, but the heavenly the heavenly forces will engage the demonic. There will be human forces in place. But think of it this way. They're more of disposable pawns that think they're knights or bishops. They're really just disposable. These, these forces that really can't even fight in the spiritual realm. They don't have the tools. They don't have the weapons to fight the spiritual fight. But in their mind, they think there's something. Jesus will descend and destroy all opposing forces. He'll come on a horse, speaking of victory, of power. Of, you know, he came as a, on a donkey. Meek and peaceful. But he's going to return on a horse, victorious and powerful. He will return in glory to establish his kingdom. We're told that he will descend and destroy all opposing forces. I'll read to you what you, we see in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. He'll, he will destroy with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Just his he literally will speak victory, he will speak truth, he will speak and, and everything will be done in, in the brightness of his coming. It will be an amazing display, but not much of a battle. You know, we'll get into this in the second half of chapter nineteen when we work our way to there. Verse seventeen. Then the seventh bowl, or the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It's done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And the great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Verse 20, then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. The final bowl judgment is poured out. Speaks of Babylon, which we're gonna get into here in chapter seventeen. You know, Babylon speaks of world religions, that world religious system um, that's present on the earth at this time. It's a religious system with economic influence with um, political uh, representative, political power. But really, the end-time system is a, is, is a religious system. It's just not just a one-world government and a one-world economy. People want a religious system more than we realize. And that's why when we see what Jesus did, where he actually took it away from the formation of men, where men took a relationship... Based on God leading people and speaking of them individually, man takes this relationship, analyzes it, and comes up with repetitive actions. Repetitive actions are put into a form of system. So if you keep doing this, then this will keep happening. We've seen this happen, so if we do it this way, then this has to happen. And so there's the perception, as long as we can just have the system our way. As long as we can control it, then we can have what we want, which is actually more not so much a religious system where there's a uh, true worship of, the, the, of a God, but it's a religious system that's a worship of self-pleasure, or of self-performance, of self-promotion, and really what you want. And, and we're going to see you know, the, this system, we already see it shaping up. We see the cry for all faiths. Form the term sometimes used is ecumenical. Why can't we all just get along? And we see the blending where you know you can get along. I had a person tell me in this community some years ago, as we were, I was looking to join or be a part of a a ministerial association, and the leader of that association here in this community says we embrace our Islamic brothers as well through the relationship of Abraham. And I said, No, I don't. I don't have any relationship with them. And they went on to identify a few other cults that why we would have and present to the community a sense of unity. I'm like, We're not united. Why are we presenting unity? We're contrary. And, you know, this is 22 years ago. I've been here 23 ish. And he looked at me, he was an older guy. He looked at me, he goes, You're young. You know, you got a lot of zeal. You'll change. You'll, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. And me being me, I, guess, I don't know, I just said, I hope not. That's not what I read in Scripture. That's not what my life experience has been. I mean, my life experience doesn't define things. But I can see from Scripture, people will lead you astray. You will take yourself astray. The religious system that's going to be in place is going to be accepting to everyone but one group. There's absolutely one group that will not be accepted in the religious system. What group is it? The Christians, the followers of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And so he's not all inclusive in all these different options. He's all inclusive in that he does not turn away anyone. He includes everyone in the invitation. But not everyone will receive the invitation. Many will say, I'll do it this way, okay? I'm going to have it like this. And he says, you know, that works out for you. Because you're not coming in my kingdom. Many will say in that day, Lord, look what we've done in your name. We did this and we did that. And God says, Jesus says to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't even know you. Because they're given to the system. Following that work. We see here um, in verses 20 and 21, this great shaking of the earth and great hail upon the earth. Approximately 100 pound hailstones. Now, I don't know what are those blocks of ice we buy. Five, ten pounds, really. I mean, they're not very big. So, hundred pound block of ice. You know, maybe you say, well, technically maybe it's only about 68 to 77 pounds. Okay, call me a liar. Take one to the head and see how, how our conversation goes. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what's the difference at that point? They're falling from the sky. And actually, more people will probably die from the hailstones than the results from the earthquake and the tremors. So in Kitten Mountain in Tucson, we were just recently there, Tim and I, and I researched this a little bit, they study asteroids. And all, there's like over 3,000 asteroids that are on a path that could collide with the Earth. So their, their job is to study them. Because these scientists and physicists, they've studied and go, wait a minute. If one of those collides with the Earth, we have a serious problem. We've had meteorites hit. We've got a couple craters outside of town here that are... Possibly, probably from a meteorite, and so this study at Kit Mountain—that's really what they do. And they thought, well, what if we blow them up? These big ones that potentially are on this course. I mean, Hollywood's even made movies about this stuff. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. So we have a really big ball that could take out three-fourths of the planet. At least, if we blew it up, we'd only have about four hundred of them at the same time, smaller. That would—it's like, would you rather have a mortar? Or multiple shotgun rounds It just you 're not going to blow them up, but see it's it 's this mindset that we can protect the planet, we can preserve it, we can do, it. and I get it i mean i 'm not faulting them for thinking, oh, what can we do if it happens? Uh, you know, like one said it 's like well here 's what you say next, our father, which art in heaven, you know it 's like you pray or you 're too late there 's a lot that you can consider you know uh, about. An impact that would tilt the Earth's axis—it would cause because the Earth wobbles now, but an impact could actually flip it. Some hold that back, you know, in the Garden of Eden, that the Earth was is about. Well, they get into the whole thought of that Venus is a late planet ten thousand years ago when Venus was there. There's all this uh, space debris. Something impacts the planet, knocks it off its axis. And actually, with the impact on the studies, is you could actually invert it if it hit just right. So in other words, your North Pole would be the South Pole. Or you'd be somewhere in between, causing an instantaneous change in climate. From, say, a California coastal area of 60, 70 degrees, instantly shifted to a polar cap type environment. And that section, which got whacked and knocked over around, is now 50, 60 below zero in instantaneous freezing which some have inter- entertained—that could have been what happened to the Ice Age. I like to think about that stuff, but here's what I know: God said it, and He didn't have to tell us how He's going to do it. It's going to happen. There's going to be things. This Earth is. There's going to be a, 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 a something's going to happen at this time that that's never happened before in the sense of since. Notice it does. there. you know. Since I think at one point since man, since since men, you know, in verse 18, since men were on the earth i got a couple of minutes, so I'm just going to touch on this. You know, there could have been something happen with the earth before men were on it. And now we're being told something else is going to happen again in the end times. Something's going to happen so fen- phenomenal. You know, how, how do we get this shift of continents? Have you ever looked at the, glo- the continents and the, the world on a, a map laid out? It's actually easier to see that. Who would look at that and go, I bet those two would fit together. Everybody who's looking at it, if you've ever put the puzzle together, you're like, hey, look, it's just a little bit of moving. We can make one landmass. Hmm, interesting. Wonder what would happen if we broke it open, let the waters pour out from the inside, and then just shifted dirt around in the form of continents? Well, you and I don't have the power to do it. But God, who broadcast the universe, just kind of fanned the stars into place, said, that'll work. Could have easily done this continental shift and various things. So, I guess what I'm saying is it's his planet. He gets to do what he wants. And he gets to do it in the way he wants. Whether he brings in something from outer space, or he just shifts it on its axis, or does something even unknown and not really even considered scientifically. Because it's his planet. He's put us on it as the apple of his eye. It will be a great shaking like none of us ever seen. And, and there's gonna, it's going to affect the entire world. It won't be, you know, the Richter scale. <laughs> it's going to break. <laughs> you know, it ain't going to work. Um, the, the, whole, the whole thing, and it's really bringing us in, in, to this point of final judgment. And it's going to lead us right into Jesus' return, the battle of Armageddon, I believe we'll come with him. I don't think there's going to be much of a battle. It'll usher in the thousand-year millennial reign. It'll then have Satan released. There'll be that final judgment upon Satan. And then there'll be the new heaven and new earth where we dwell with him for eternity. I want to finish with one portion. Look with me, if you would, in verse 15. Behold, I am coming. And I would just uh, encourage you because it says... Within that, I'm coming. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Let me say it this way. Be ready. Be watchful. Represent Christ to the world. That's the age we're in. I don't want anybody to go through what we just read. And if somehow I can influence them, the Holy Spirit could use you or me or us to bring the truth to them, that they can make a truth-informed decision based on the person of Jesus Christ, then I think we have done our part to help them not go through what we just read about. Let's pray. God, is so awesome to consider your presence. And it's disturbing to think of what this earth will go through, but it's more disturbing to think what ultimately you went through. That men rejected you, they spit on you, They joyfully, gleefully tortured you. And even those who knew it not to be true were silent. As a sheep before the shearers, they too didn't say anything. Your followers, they fled, all of them. And you took upon yourself the weight of the world, the sins of the world. But yours was an expression of love that resulted in salvation for us. We praise you, God. We know your judgment's coming. We know you're patient and faithful, merciful and true. And your timing is perfect. And so, God, may we not let the days slip by. May we not slip into just some odd spiritual lethargy or complacency. But we may we respond to your calling, knowing your power, that you would equip us to be your witnesses in the world in this time. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.